Welcome to the Faith Dialogue Podcast with your host, Pastor Ken Baer. Are you ready to swim in the deep end of the Bible pool or climb to the top of Faith Mountain? If so, open the eyes that see, those ears that hear, and a heart that is receptive. Get your cup of coffee and your Bible as we begin. Welcome back to our broadcast today. I'm Ken Bear, one of the pastors at Celebrate Seniors, a ministry of Faith Dialogue right here in Celebration, Florida. Today we're continuing our study in the Acts of the Apostles, also called the Book of Acts, uh, chapters 6 and 7 today. The title of my message is The Witness of Stephen. Today we're continuing this sermon series called Unstoppable. Uh, through the book of Acts. Uh, we call this study of Acts unstoppable because we see that despite the, the hardship and the persecution, especially what we'll see today, the church, the early church was truly unstoppable. And the church is unstoppable today as well. Uh, we'll start today as we do all the time and we'll take a look at the, the context, the, the context of this, this story of the witness of Stephen. In the first five chapters of Acts, uh, we saw that the Apostle Luke wrote of the coming of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit came in, in power and in might. And, and people were baptized in the Holy Spirit. And that day, there were 3,000 that were added to the church. Um, the early church growth, which was miraculous, was accompanied by signs and wonders, including people being healed. And then in the beginning of chapter 6, we see that uh, the apostles had to address a, a conflict. A conflict that had brought much to their attention, and they ended up uh, selecting seven. Seven individuals that were of good reputation and full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. And the very last passage, uh, the last, last verse before this passage today, and remember I told you that when we're taking a look at context, the, the verses immediately preceding, as well as the verses immediately following the section of Scripture, are the most important when it comes to context. In verse 7, which is the verse just prior to the verse where we start today, it says, Then the word of God spread, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. So again, back to our sermon series called Unstoppable. Uh, the number of disciples, that's the word that Luke likes to use for, for believers, continues to multiply greatly. Uh, there were thousands, likely tens of thousands of believers. And it's possible this is only a few weeks, maybe a couple of months after, after Pentecost. Notice that some of these Jewish priests also became, became Christians. This is an amazing testimony to, to the Word of God. These, these priests were, were uh, of, the, of, of a particular tribe, the tribe of Levi, uh, but they also were performing daily duties in the temple, typically having to do with the sacrifice, sacrifice of bulls and goats, sheep and oxen. And they were coming to, to the Lord as well. So we're going to be looking at a relatively long passage in the book of Acts today, the end of chapter 6 and then all of chapter 7. And we'll begin with, uh, with verse uh, 7. Um, it says, And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. As we begin, I have a, a homework assignment for you. Do you mind homework? Just a little bit of homework? 
Would you, when you get a chance, grab your Bible and go and read all of chapter 6 and chapter 7 in the book of Acts? Uh, the time constraints we have don't permit me to, to read the entire thing and, and be able to mention any, any particular uh, passage in particular. Um, so would you go back and read it? There's, there's tremendous benefit in, in reading the Word of God. And I just encourage you to read along uh, with us as we travel through the, the book of Acts. So verse 6 reminds us that we've, what we've seen in the Apostles. Stephen was one of the seven that were selected and it was, he was said to be full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. We'll see that this is an important combination. Uh, the power of the Holy Spirit uh, and a combination of that along with wisdom. And, and the wisdom actually comes from a, a knowledge of the scriptures. And in particular, a knowledge of the, of the kingdom of God. Uh, we see that Stephen had the opportunity to, to truly minister in a very unique and, and special way. It very well could be that because there were great wonders and signs among the people, uh, that gave him an opportunity or a platform, a pulpit. Stephen, we, we said, was one of, the, one of the seven, doing the business of the distribution of the widows, as the book of Acts says. But neither the Holy Spirit nor Stephen limited his ministry to the task or his job description, this ministering to in the distribution of, of the widows. Uh, that was the description that was given to all of the seven, but, but Stephen didn't stop there. I also want to mention that these great signs and wonders among the people, as we read through the, the book of Acts, we'll notice that the vast majority of these miraculous signs were, were conducted uh, with, by the apostles. And so much so that some would say that perhaps when the age of the apostles had ended, miracles, signs, and wonders also vanished. However, we see, we see Stephen here. And Stephen's not an apostle. In fact, he was a Greek-speaking Jew. Um, he was one of the Hellenists. And we know that he was a deacon. He wasn't an apostle. However, his ministry was noted by by great signs and wonders. Don't ever let your, your ministry by, be limited by what your job description is. Uh, God can take you into places that, that He wants to take you. Uh, and, and there's amazing things that can be accomplished as long as you're, you're faithful uh, to the calling of God. Uh, this next verse, verse 9, is very interesting. It says that there, there arose... Um, some from what is called the synagogue of the freemen, Cyrenians, Alexandrians, and those from Cilicia and Asia that started to dispute with Stephen. We actually know a little bit about this synagogue of the freemen, and we can speculate as well about some of these people that were disputing with Stephen. Uh, synagogues at the time, at this time, were, were very common, very popular. These meeting places called synagogues had existed all the way going back to the Babylonian exile. In the first century, most Jewish communities outside of Jerusalem had at least one synagogue. Um, th th these were places where, where Jews of common faith and common language could meet. It, it was also a favorite place for, trues, for Jews while traveling, and we saw that often uh, with the missionary journeys of the Apostle Paul. It only took ten men officially to open a synagogue. And historians tell us that in Jerusalem at this time, there were likely 500 synagogues in the, in the city. 
So Stephen is, is ministering and witnessing to the Jews in these synagogues about the faith, about the kingdom of God, and about Jesus. Now this is 500 synagogues in a city of maybe a half a million to 600,000 inhabitants, regular inhabitants. In verse 9, this particular synagogue is mentioned. It was the synagogue of the freemen, and then it, said it includes uh, Jews that were from Cyrenians, Alexandrians, and those from Cilicia and Asia. Uh, so what are, these, what are these freemen? Who are they? Well, back in, a little bit of history here, back in 65 BC, 65 BC, Pompey, who was a, a Roman general, was, was asked to settle a civil war, a dispute that was going on in Israel at the time. And, and in the process of settling this dispute, of course, he sacks Jerusalem and actually takes away a number of Jewish captives. And he, as he carries them away, of course, they're sold into to slavery. Now, now, many of these Jews that were captured and sent east um, or west over to, to Rome and parts of, parts of Europe uh, actually returned. And some of these that returned to Jerusalem founded this synagogue of the freemen. Now, the areas that are included, these, these Greek-speaking Jews, it, it mentions a number of them. They, first of all, they say the Cyrenians, or the Jews are from Cyrene, which is a city uh, in Africa, over in Libya. Uh, then there's the Alexandrians. Well, that's from the capital of Egypt, which is Alexandria. And then it says from Asia, likely meaning the western part of Asia, the area we know as like Ephesus. And these were all Greek cities. A and the Jews from these areas were Greek-speaking Jews. That's why they were called Hellenists. Notice that there's a city also named, which is Cilicia. Uh, this, this region of Cilicia is in, is in Asia Minor, uh, up by Syria. And actually, there's a, the principal city in Cilicia is, is Tarsus. We know a, a prominent Jew that was a learned Pharisee uh, that was from Tarsus. Uh, his name was Saul. And many scholars believe that while Saul is not mentioned here, and he's not mentioned until the very end of chapter 7, most likely... He was involved in these disputes with Stephen. So what we find interesting um, is either Stephen is going from synagogue to synagogue, or, or perhaps um, this synagogue of the freemen is a, is a cultural center. And Stephen, Stephen is spending time there uh, addressing the Jews, addressing the Pharisees, uh, addressing the, the religious leaders. Steve, Stephen was being used by God in going to these synagogues. That's the name of our, 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 sermon, our sermon today, the witness of Stephen. He, he's going to soon demonstrate the, his knowledge of the history of the Jewish people and his knowledge of the scriptures. He's going to have a keen insight in the spiritual underpinnings of the, the works of God. However, the passage says that they were disputing with Stephen. Stephen was not disputing. Stephen was witnessing. Uh, there's a difference. Now, what was, it, what was Stephen witnessing? Well, he was witnessing to the Jews that the Messiah had, had come. It's possible that the great signs and wonders that Stephen had done, which is mentioned here in the book of Acts, gave him a platform, gave him an opportunity to, to speak. Um, we want to be able to use every opportunity that God gives us to be able to be a witness, to be able to speak into the culture and to tell them of Jesus, tell them of the Messiah, 
Tell of them, tell them of, tell the people of the redemption that's uh, that's available through Jesus Christ. However, the Bible says that the Jews push back. Um, it was likely Saul. That was likely that Saul of Tarsus was one of them. They they pushed back on Stephen and they began to dispute what he said. Um, it says that they were unable. These Jews, they were unable to cope with the wisdom and the spirit with which he, which is Stephen, was teaching. Uh, let's continue for a minute and we'll get to the point where Stephen is getting, getting into some really deep water or, or the point of, of no return. Uh, then after that, I want to spend a little time talking about this idea of being a, a witness. So let's continue. Verse 11. And they secretly induced men to say, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people, the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him, seized him, and brought him to the council. This is what happens all the time. I mean all the time. Uh, you may be really good. You may be the smartest guy in the room. You may be the most prepared and the best debater. But... As soon as your counterparts, as soon as the people understand that um, they're, 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 you're getting the best of them. And remember, you're, you're telling them something for their benefit. But as soon as they discover that they're getting out-debated, that they're going to lose this, this round of debates, what do they do? And they do this every time. Well, the first thing they do is they, they resort to character assassinations, uh, name-calling, what we call today identity politics. If that doesn't work, these people on the losing side of the argument will take the next step. And that's exactly what these Jews did. It says, then they secretly induced men to say, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses. Uh, and they stirred up the people. This happens every time. So, so let's talk about this idea of, of witnessing. You know, witnessing is, is, is extremely important for the believer. It's, it's something we're supposed to do. Jesus said, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon, upon you. And you will be my witnesses in, in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The question is not, should we witness? The question is, how should we witness? I remember very well being a, a brand new believer. This was a, this was a while ago. Um, and I felt that I had a, enough of the Holy Spirit and enough Bible knowledge to go out and, and witness. Witness to all of my family and all of my friends and my neighbors and, and just people I met anywhere on the street. All the people at work. I was just going to go and convert them all for, for Jesus Christ. The, the problem was is that I actually had more zeal than knowledge and more likely Holy Spirit. I would often misquote a verse, often force the conversation into a discussion on religion. And Christianity is not about religion, it's about a relationship. Uh, the bottom line is I was not very good at it. Over time, I, I got better. And, and then I decided that maybe my calling, maybe my role was to, to find out and, and witness to the people that were in false religions. Um, the Christian cults. But, but here's, here's the issue. When's the last time anyone was able to successfully argue a, a Hindu or a, a Muslim out of their faith? When did that ever happen? Uh, or when, could you con when has anybody ever been able to convince a, a Jehovah's Witness or, or, a, or a Mormon? 
uh, that the Bible they're using isn't the, isn't the right translation. Or, or successfully be able to explain the mysteries of a, of a triune God. I found that unless God has specifically called a person to what's called apologetics ministry, uh, we need to find a, another way to, to truly be a, a successful witness. If you haven't heard the word apologetics before, let me explain it to you. Apologetics comes from a, a Greek word, which means to, to give a defense. Uh, so Christian apologetics is a skill uh, that's developed uh, that enables the person to be able to, to give a defense for the hope in Christianity. Uh, it's the ability to, to persuade, uh, to argue, to, to win the argument. I found that arguing the faith for me is not very productive. It's not very satisfying actually to anyone. I don't like being insulted. You probably don't either. And, and nobody likes being insulted. Uh, when you tell someone that what they've believed all of their life, what their parents and their, <laughs> their grandparents had, had taught them, when you tell them that it's all a lie, well, they're, they're highly in, insulted. Um, it's, it's, it's a huge mistake, actually, I think, unless you're specifically called to that kind of ministry. So, so let's go back to Stephen. Uh, we see in the scriptures today that worthless men were hired to lie about Stephen, to, to go before the council. That's the Sanhedrin. And, and they say this, they say, This man does not cease to speak blasphemous words against the holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth is going to destroy this place and change the customs which Moses uh, delivered to us. And then we look at and we see what it says about Stephen. Verse 15, And all who sat in the council looking steadfastly at him saw his face was as the face of an angel. And I'm not sure exactly what, what Luke meant by that when he wrote that Stephen's face was like the face of an angel. Likely he was, Stephen was at peace. Perhaps there was a quality that we would call angelic or, or possibly serene. Perhaps it wasn't so much Stephen by himself, but in contrast to the crazy, maniacal uh, Jews that were frothing with anger over what, what Stephen was accused of saying. And, and here's, a, here's a spoiler alert. We're going to see in the martyrdom of Stephen, that's what's going to happen by the end of this chapter, uh, there's an obvious contrast. On the side of the stone throwers, we'll see the aggressive, hostile, Jews' hating words of these zealots. These Jews on the other side, will, uh, the, of these Jews, and on the other side we see Stephen, who is peaceful, Holy Spirit filled. He was gentle. That's what God had called him to do. Uh, but that event, the martyrdom of Stephen, is actually 57 verses from now. So let's kind of go through uh, chapter 7 and we'll unpack some of, the, some of the highlights. So the high priest wants to know, are these things so? What things? Well, Stephen is being accused of all things of wanting to destroy not only the temple, uh, but the law. Um, when, it, when it says the customs that Moses gave them, that's what they're speaking of. They're, they're talking about the law. And they accuse him of blasphemy. And people that were found guilty of blasphemy could be stoned. Hi, so if you notice, I've actually moved. I've, I'm out in the hot Florida sun, and it's so bright, I had to move the camera a little bit forward so that, so that you'd be able to see me a little better. Uh, so, so here we are, and, and Stephen has a, a choice. He has a chance and a choice. In apologetics, the idea is to defend the faith. 
this would be the faith that shows and illustrates that Jesus Christ is the, is the Messiah. That the prophets, the law, the temple, and all the prophecies all, all point to, to Jesus Christ. The second choice that, that Stephen has is to recant. And he's not going to do that. He's not going to deny the Lord. Thirdly, Stephen could choose to defend himself. These worthless men that were paid are lying. Uh, Stephen didn't say that Jesus was going to destroy the temple nor nullify the law. What Stephen is going to do is he is going to be a, a witness. He's going to witness what he has learned through the apostles as well as through the Holy Spirit. He's not going to defend himself. He's going to defend the faith. Let's talk briefly about this idea about being a, a witness. The word witness is used 35 times in the, in the New Testament. Uh, and the word for witness in the Greek is martus. Uh, in Koine Greek, it's always meant a, a witness and was translated as a witness always until Stephen. After Stephen, the word was transliterated, meaning the word actually comes complete into the English language and the word became martyr the English word martyr. Uh, of course, Stephen doesn't know this at the time. He, he doesn't know for sure that he's going to be stoned to death. And we believe that the Holy Spirit is certainly with Stephen at the time. He's encouraging him and he's guiding him and he's, he's giving the comfort as Stephen begins to address the Sanhedrin. Uh, and Stephen gives a, a wail of a witness, uh, the longest sermon yet uh, since the birth of the church. It extends from the beginning of chapter 7, verse 2, all the way to verse 53. It's organized very well, especially for an extemporaneous speech, beginning with Abraham through the patriarchs in Egypt, um, and then going into to Joseph. Um, he then uses 20 verses to, to speak about Moses, the lawgiver. If we look closer at what Stephen has to say, we'll see that while he gave a panorama of Old Testament history, he more specifically set the stage for that the centrality of the Jewish religion in Jerusalem with the temple and the daily sacrifices was relatively a, a new development. It wasn't always that way. He says long before Abraham ever journeyed to the promised land, ever owned a a piece of land in Israel, while it was still just a promise uh, given to his descendants, and when Abraham was still childless, Stephen said that God gave to Abraham the covenant of circumcision. See, it wasn't about the land. It wasn't about the temple, the city of Jerusalem. It was about a covenant between Abraham and God. Then Stephen speaks of Joseph and his brothers and their father Jacob. The protection and promise of God in the nation of Israel was while they were in Egypt. Uh, they weren't even in the land at the time. Stephen concludes with an extended story of how God delivered the people through, through Moses. Stephen's message was plain. Moses was rejected by the people of Israel. Also, God rejected the Jews who had Aaron fashion a golden idol and later offered sacrifices to it. Um, they also offered sacrifices to the god Moloch, um, and that's why they ended up in, in Babylon. Stephen wraps up his sermon with a shot across the bow. Um, 
at the holy place, the temple. In, in verse 48, Stephen says this. He says, however, the most high God does not dwell in temples made with hands, as the prophet says. Heaven is my throne, earth is my footstool. What house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Has my hand not made all these things? Now, before I go on, let me give you my opinion. This is strictly my opinion of why Stephen fashioned his sermon in this manner, his defense of the gospel. Remember, Stephen was a, a Greek-speaking Jew, a, a Hellenist. These Hellenists were residents of cities all through Asia and the Middle East, and they had strong Greek cultures. The animosity between the Hebrews and the Hellenists was, was strong. It had been going on for a couple hundred years. And one of the reasons was because of the Hellenist use of what's called the Septuagint. The Septuagint is a third century BC translation of the Old Testament from Hebrew into to Greek. Uh, it's called Septuagint for the Latin word for 70. As tradition says, there were actually 70 plus 2 were 72 translators, which supposedly were six from each of the 12 tribes of Israel. I'm not sure if I agree with that, but that's the tradition. But the Septuagint is called the Septuagint because of the word 70, 72 translators. Uh, the Hebrew, meaning that the Hebrew-speaking Jews, rejected the Septuagint, primarily because they believed that the Tanakh, an acronym, an acronym referring to all the books of the Bible, including the Torah, had to be read in, in Hebrew. In addition to the Septuagint, there was a difference of opinion between the Hellenists, these Greek-speaking Jews outside of Israel, and the Jews living in Israel about, about the centrality of the temple and Israel itself. These, these Jews that lived in Cyrene and Alexandria and Cilicia and Asia uh, believed that a good Jew could live basically anywhere and that he could be taught the law and the rabbinical customs by a rabbi in a synagogue as well as any Jew could at the temple. Stephen was a Hellenist. He chose in his defense and his apologetics of the, fake, of the faith to focus on the covenants of God rather than, said the, than the centrality of the temple or Jerusalem uh, in general. Stephen concludes in verse 51 with a, a masterful overview of the Old Testament and he blasts his listeners. Verse 51, he says, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who foretold the coming of the just one, of whom you now have become the betrayers and murderers, who have received the law by the direction of angels and have not kept it. Well, you can imagine how these, as he says, stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart, Jews responded. Uh, the next paragraph in my Bible is, tied, is titled, Stephen the Martyr. And while these, these paragraph headings are, are not considered inspired, they're not part of the canon, um, I think the Bible publisher uh, got, it, got it correctly. Now would be a good time to mention that the name Stephen in Greek is actually Stephanus. Uh, it's, 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 a, it's the word that means, means crown. 
And the New Testament mentions five heavenly crowns, five Stephanas, that are given as rewards to believers. They are, and here's the number one, the imperishable crown. Number two, the crown of rejoicing. Number three, the crown of righteousness. Four, the crown of glory. And number five, the crown of life. The crown of life in specific is given to those who face heavy persecution, and in this case, martyrdom for their faith. The original Greek Stephanus crown referred to a, a garland or a wreath that was put on the head of a victor, like at the Greek games. Um, it was an award for, for winning a contest. So back to the passage today, nearing the end of chapter 7, how did these, how did these Jews respond? Well, you can imagine. No doubt they're ripping their garments and their claws. And the Bible says this. It says, when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart. And they gnashed their teeth. Gnashed at him with their teeth. You know, I figure that gnashing their teeth for these Jews was just practice. Just practice for what they would be doing ultimately. Uh, it was practice because Jesus, just a few months before this, maybe five or six months before this, said to probably some of the same individuals, these same Jews, Jesus says there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God and you yourselves are, are thrown out. I'd like to, to read to you the, the last few verses in this chapter. Stephen, of course, is, is martyred for his faith. He's the first of, of many, many martyrs for our faith. You know, when we think of the Roman Empire in the time of persecution, um, we, we see pictures and we hear stories of, of Christians being uh, thrown to the lions in the, in the Colosseums. However, there's been more uh, persecutions and there's, there's more persecution in the 20th and now the 21st century uh, than the first thousand years of the church. Gordon Con Conwell's Center for Study of Global Christianity released a study, an annual report in 2017, and it found that as many as 90,000 Christians died for their faith in the previous year, which was 2016. While many of these fatalities, it says, occurred due to tribal wars, the main conflict in the tribal wars was Muslims attacking Christians. Uh, that along with the continued persecution in North Korea, China, and other Muslim countries accounted for the bulk of the 90,000 deaths, martyrdoms. Uh, we saw these religious leaders, including the high priest, gnashing their teeth just recently. So Luke continues, and I'm going to read this in its entirety. But he, that is Stephen, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God and said, look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears and ran at him with one accord. And they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. 
So a couple of, of closing comments on these, on these two chapters on, on the witness of Stephen. You likely saw in the reading just a few verses ago, there was a young man named Saul being present at the stoning. This young man Saul that we'll talk about in the next chapter, I believe was a recipient of the grace of God that was spoken and prayed for by Stephen in verse 60 when he says, Lord, do not charge them, do not charge him, Saul, with this sin. Also, this is the only place in the New Testament that we look into heaven and we see Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And typically, he's, been, he's seen sitting sitting down on a throne, which is the, the correct posture for a monarch. Um, Stephen sees Jesus standing, and many believe that is Jesus is standing to receive Stephen, a faithful servant. Stephen served likely only a, a few months in his role as a deacon. However, it's not the term of the service that matters, but the faithful service provided during the term. Let's pray. Father God, we want to thank you, Lord, for who you are. We thank you, Lord, for this story of Stephen, the first martyr in the church. Help us, Lord, to be faithful witnesses in all that we do. We know that you've called us to be a witness for our faith. And help us to be able to give that gladly. And we give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to thank you for joining us today. I'd like to invite you all to our, to our webpage at www.faithdialogue.org. All of our videos, all of our sermons, all of our audio podcasts are on our website as well. And you're free to take a look at that and to be able to grow. Thank you for your, your friendship. You've been listening to Faith Dialogue with Pastor Ken Baer, recorded live at Celebrate Seniors, a ministry of Faith Dialogue. You can listen to or watch all of the recordings at Faith Dialogue by going to www.faithdialogue.org.